Isn't Bob the nicest human being that's ever been birthed? I'm telling you. I just believe that. I told that to your wife a few minutes ago, and uh, I really do believe that. And that time in Lithuania was just absolutely spectacular. And greetings from your pastor, Brooks McElhaney. He is out ministering today, and I told him I would be here and wanted to encourage uh, you. He loves you, and he is praying for you. And uh, today I'm going to talk about some of those things that congregations go through as a as a transition. Aren't you grateful for the years of the McElhaney family and their ministry here at your church? I didn't, I just noticed all the balcony people. You're my favorite people today because you're the furthest away and I say you're my favorite because if I don't you'll fall asleep. So you're my favorite people today and it's great. I'm counting on you to carry the amens today. Amen. Let's practice that. There it is. All right. The balcony has spoken. Uh, don't you also love your pastoral staff? What an amazing group of people you have on staff here at this church. Your uh, youth pastor, uh, Pastor Raymond, just actually spoke on the youth retreat from my former church and uh, got in uh, late last night. But he and Nathan, your children's pastor, sent me a text message a few weeks ago. And uh, there's an offensive lineman for the Rams that eerily looks just like me. And uh, they started this, and now in our minister's Facebook group, there are, uh, it's been posted, I don't know if you saw it, and now the whole state of Michigan is, is changing their screen on their phone for my face uh, when I call. So uh, I love your staff, and I'm angry at them at the same time. It's an amazing, amazing thing. I'm here with my wonderful wife, Jamie, my high school sweetheart, who we've been married a long time, uh, 22 years, and uh, have two amazing daughters, a 17-year-old getting ready to head off to Valley Forge uh, this summer, and a 14-year-old who is uh, full of life. She sent a uh, text message to us and said, hey, mom, bring my razor to, to the uh, church so I can take it on the campground. I forgot to shave my left leg. That's my youngest. She is all about life and people and misses the details, and she's an athlete. My oldest gets details and worries about them. How many know what I'm talking about, parents? And so it's great to be here. One of the privileges I have is traveling around our state, speaking in churches, and I just want you to know your reputation around our state is that you are a healthy, vibrant, amazing, generous, wonderful church. And uh, I want you to know that's what people think. Come on, that's the balcony up there. Come on. They're with me. Y'all on the main floor, I'm just going to start preaching to the balcony. You don't exist for a few moments. But no, the reality is, is your reputation is an amazing reputation as one of the leading churches in our, our network, our, our fellowship, our state. And I want you to know I'm working hard to help your board find the next uh, lead pastor. You know, transitions are interesting. They happen for a variety of reasons. Sometimes a pastor passes away. Sometimes because of, of uh, mental uh, struggles or emotional struggles, just age or illness. Sometimes pastors retire and some pastors just get discouraged and, and feel they need to kind of take a break. Others just have an internal sense that God is doing something new and and there's a new thing God is calling them to. And I, I want to start off and say, 
I understand transitions are difficult, but I also want to remind the congregation, you never owned your pastor. And your pastor never owned your church. He is God's, your church is God's. And what you're looking for is a leader to come in who stewards the responsibility of leadership over a congregation. And so as sad as transitions go, and here's what happens in a congregation. I'll just tell from my experience. Most of the people are sad when a pastor leaves. Some of the people are eh, okay with it. And some are excited. I don't know if you know that, but I had a guy come up to me and he said, hey, I just want you to know I'm okay with you leaving. I said, I know. I was okay with you leaving for years. You just didn't. <laughs> we just kind of had a little chuckle over it, kind of a laugh. And he says, I'm joking. I said, no, you're not. He goes, not really. <laughs> the good news is 15% of uh, stats say 15% of a congregation doesn't like the senior pastor at any one moment. The good news is it rotates. So those who don't like your pastor one day will like them a few days later. Transitions bring up a lot of emotions. They stir things up in your spirit. Some feel sad. Some feel numb. Some feel confused. Some get worried. Some worry about the process. They worry about the, the way things go and will I like the new person, will I not? Some are just frightened altogether and just some are new to the church. If you're newer to the church and you just started coming and you say, Man, I really liked it, and then we had a transition. I understand that. I, I know that. But I also want to encourage you that God is in this. God has called Brooks and Tammy to serve in an amazing way, and I want to assure you they are a gift. They are serving well, and he was made to do what God's called him to do right now. He is a blessing to churches. He is a blessing to me, and I vast believe that he and I will become the dearest of friends, as we already are, but... We just love hanging out. He's really fun. And he is addicted to candy, specifically Reese's. He, he has a, an addiction. It's almost going to be a credentialable issue if it, if it keeps going. And yet he stays skinny. Figure that one out, huh? Blessing of the Lord there. The reality is, is that you have to move through transitions together. Can I tell you, now is not the time to not give financially. Now is not the time to let your internal dialogue be externally shared in unhealthy ways. Concern, worry, transitions, and thoughts are part of the process, but how many know your church needs to unify like never before and move forward with confidence that the Holy Spirit's got a plan? This is a season where churches get tested to see the cracks in their foundation. And these are the seasons that God triumphs through change and brings a church out on the other side to a glorious new future if we all do this well. I want to give you a little bit about the process, and then we're going to give away some candy. How many say amen to that? Amen. One of my responsibilities is to come and share. And I know I've met with your board. We met with them before Pastor Brooks was even concluded his time here, and we talked about pastoral transitions and how the process works. I will not contend that our process is perfect, but it's a really healthy model that has seen a lot of success over the years if boards follow the process and begin to walk through it together with unity. The goal is to identify the next lead pastor, but I want you to know your search committee has followed the constitution and bylaws of the makeup of your committee. Your committee is not selecting your next pastor. Hear that. 
The search committee is presenting your next candidate. The body affirms that decision or not. It's a search. It's a feels right to us in the Holy Spirit acts kind of moment in the Bible. Where the body just comes together and says, I feel this is the right direction. Part of the process requires confidentiality. You need to know that your search committee should not be sharing information outside of that until a candidate is in place. The reason for that, as frustrating as that may be for some, is that, that in the process they have to protect not only the unity of this church, but also the privacy of the pastors who have submitted their, their applications for consideration. You want to know more information. How many say amen? amen. <laughs> How many know you can't say amen? You can't know it all. You can't because part of that process is a protective process that says, hey, it's not a beauty contest. It's not a show. It is a process of discovering what we believe God's next plan is for this church. So please be in prayer as Eric just prayed. Please be in prayer for your search committee. The pressure upon them is enormous. During these process, search committee members feel every interaction is going to lead to the question of how's it going? And how many know there are stretches where it doesn't go well? Candidates are not really coming in. They haven't sensed it. And you don't want them to go, not good. And if it's going really well, you don't want them to go, really, really good. And you're going, what does that mean? How many know this is a process? Treat your search committee like people. They're part of your church. And they're praying and earnestly seeking to see what God has for the future. Resumes come in through our office. We share them with them. Some resumes come through other avenues of, of suggested ways. Resumes get shared through technology. Those resumes and potential candidates are then evaluated. Uh, your search committee has been shared about not making it a beauty contest. Somebody know when Samuel chose David, he didn't line up all the sons all at once. He didn't bring 15 candidates for pastor, line them up and have everyone say, I like person four and person six. He went one by one, is this the person? And if it wasn't, you moved on to the next until God said, this is the right one. It's that kind of a process. As resumes come in, does this seem like the right person? Yes or no? Let's say no. Okay, we move on. Does this seem like a potential fit? Does this? And eventually there'll come a moment where most or all will say, yes, I think this could be the potential candidate. After that happens, we've asked search committees to vet that through our office to make sure that candidates that have been presented through other avenues uh, are quality. Uh, I want you to know we, we do our best to make sure that the best candidates possible are presented so that people have the opportunity to vet those and pray over that and become and elect eventually the pastor that is your next leader. This process is healthy and whole. After that time, there will be some process when a candidate is chosen where that name will be shared publicly. At that point, there will be some other steps, potentially Q&A time, at least some fellowship interaction, preaching on a Sunday, and then the body chooses the next pastor. It's a process, yet it is also stressful. I want to let you know a lot of that has to do with your perspective. Now, how many like chocolate? How many like Kit Kats? I got a king size Kit Kat and I got a king size Reese's. Who wants it? Come on up. 
Come on. Let's get moving. There we go. We got movement happening. First ones who get here. We've got adults. We've got, oh, we got a Kit Kat. Look at this. This guy just went right past the Reese's and went for the Kit Kat. That was great. That was great. Now, how many know those individuals just came in here with no Reese's, no Kit Kat, and just receive a blessing? How many know that? Amen? Come on now. Now, I also want to know who wants a Reese's and who wants a Kit Kat? Come on, come on. Who wants the Reese's and who wants a Kit Kat? Oh, oh, there you go. Come on now, all right. That was the most interaction I had, I tell you. I saw someone from the balcony about to swing down. No, I'm just kidding. Listen, how many know that five minutes ago nobody had candy? One minute ago, two people felt they scored. And how many know the potential is, now that they saw it, they said, I should have waited just a little longer. Because perspective changes based on what you focus on. Come on. You have a dependable car that you've driven for years, decades, 299,000 miles. You're getting ready to 300,000 in F-150. It is falling apart, but it still purrs like a kitten when you're driving. And you're like, this is my car. And you drive home feeling good about your frugal, wonderful ability to keep this thing going. And you pull in your driveway. You park your F-150. You turn around feeling good. And your neighbor pulls in in a brand new F-150. And immediately the thing you once loved suddenly gets in contrast to something new. And your focus shifts. And we begin to devalue something that we once valued greatly. See, perspective has an amazing ability. During search times, there are conspiracy theorists of what's really going on. You just know there's more going on than you know, so you need to know what you don't know, and so you search for it, because you're like, you're like detectives of darkness, searching around for the hidden truth. There's the optimist. The optimist is wonderful when you're the optimist. If you run into a pessimist, the optimist irritates the pessimist. Optimists say things like, it's all going to be good. God is great. God is good. Woo, God. And the pessimist is like, they don't have any reality of what's happening. Everything could fall apart. This has been my church for 50 years. And the pessimist is focused on what's, what could go wrong. The optimist is... And the pessimists accuse the optimists of their head in the clouds, and the optimists accuse the pessimists of being negative and cranky. How many know what I'm talking about? And worse, have you ever sat in a restaurant next to a husband and wife? One's a pessimist, one's the optimist, and you just listen to them fight the entire time? It's spectacular. <laughs> There's some who've had bad experiences with transitions in the past, and so... There's history of that. I want you to know every church has transitions. It was the same transition from Pastor O to Pastor Brooks that led you to a pastor you loved in a church that's healthy. And we forget you've been through this before in your history. And before Pastor O. You've been through that through your history. In the church I served at during my years of leadership, 23 years there, we had 21 different pastors, staff pastors, come in and come out during that time. 
before you think we didn't have healthy staff dynamics, the average stay of our pastors was about eight years, which is really good for staff members. We just had a large staff, and staff changed. Churches do this. This is normal. This isn't abnormal. Sometimes there's just confusion. The process isn't communicated effectively. And then there's pain, just simply the pain of loss. But your perspective of what you choose to focus on greatly will determine the value of what you are and who you are and what you possess. I want to talk to you about one of the greatest transitions in all of Scripture. I think the parallels are in Scripture written this way for future leadership transition models. I think God put that there on purpose. How many of you are still waiting for more candy? There isn't any more. I see a few of you like going like this, you know, like, (laughs) is he pulling out something else? Is he going to money next? Nope, 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 just this. Deuteronomy 31 verse 7 says, Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all of Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land the Lord swore to their forefathers to give them, and you must divide it among them for, as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Moses, the ultimate leader of Israel. This generation had never, generations had died out in Israel. They didn't remember when they were in Egypt, captured in Egypt in in, in slavery. Moses is the leader who led them out. Moses is the one who's led them through the wilderness. Moses is the only leader these people have known. And Moses is about to transition out to a new place. I remember when we announced I had been elected superintendent, our church was made up of about 60% new converts in our growth that we had had. It was spectacular, but 60% of our church had only known me as their lead pastor. So when we announced uh, we'd been elected, they cheered not realizing what it was that was happening. All the veteran AG people's heads went, And then I said, and that means I will no longer be your lead pastor. And to stand on stage and watch the faces of people who I remember when they got saved, and I had been the only pastor they had, begin to see tears dripping down their cheeks, not knowing what to do, assuming pastors never left, not understanding church world at all. It was a moment when I realized, oh my word, some people never had the thought in their mind that this could ever happen. This is kind of that moment. Moses is leaving, but this really began long before the nation of Israel knew this transition was occurring. Go back to Numbers chapter 27. The Lord said to Moses, they're having a conversation, Moses and God. Go up and see the land I've given the Israelites. Moses said to the Lord, may the Lord, the God of the spirits of all mankind, appoint a man over this community to go out and come in before them. One who will lead them out and bring them in, so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. Moses, because of some things he did, was not allowed to lead them into the promised land. So Moses and God are having a conversation long before anybody knows. And the conversation is this, God, I've led them this far. Get somebody to lead them the rest of the way that's going to be anointed, that's going to be a leader, that people are going to respond to. God, I've taken them as far as this season allows. 
So God, give them someone amazing. Verse 27, or chapter 27, verse 18. So the Lord says to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is in the spirit, and lay your hands on him. Have him stand before Eleazar, the priest, and the entire assembly, and commission him in their presence. Give him some of your authority, and so the whole Israel will, all of Israel will obey him. He says, listen, here comes a transition. This is happening before Israel knows. By the time a transition announcement came to your church, God had been doing some stuff long before. We experience it in a moment, but God is working long before the moment we experience transition. And, And he says, bring Joshua up. Verse 21, at his command, he and the entire community of the Israelites will go out. At his command, they will come in. Moses did as the Lord commanded. He took Joshua and had him stand before Eleazar, the priest, and the whole assembly. Then he laid hands on him, commissioned him as the Lord instructed Moses. God was part of this. A conversation was taking place. And so as we talk for the next few moments, and by the way, at some point, I'm going to tell you uh, a few more moments, and if I don't honor that, like literally few means two, uh, just know, pastors aren't lying, they're just giving you hope. (laughs) Pastors aren't lying, they're just giving you hope that they know it has to end at some point. How many say amen to that, okay? I said that to one church I was preaching years ago, and I said in closing, and the whole church went, amen! And I realized they wanted me done, so it's okay. Let me give you perspective number one. Transitions are normal and always affect many people. Deuteronomy 31, 7. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in all the presence of Israel. This transition, historically in Israel's life, had been something they were used to. They transitioned from Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob. They transitioned from freedom to captivity, from captivity to freedom. From Egypt to the desert, from Pharaoh to Moses, from one generation to the next generation. Historically, transitional parts of their history were normal. But in this moment, it was personal because it was from Moses to Jacob, or Joshua. And from the land of the wandering to a new promised land. We must remember that in this process, this was the first major transition, and this was the setup for something God wanted to do that's incredible. Let me just tell you, from the church that I pastored and I left, for Pastor Brooks and Tammy, we want the churches that we used to pastor to have a better heyday in the future than they did under our leadership. Do you know why? Because God is a God of new things. God is going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh in the last days. Churches like yours that are focused on changing the world and reaching your community. Listen, God has you strategically planted here in Northville in the surrounding communities for such a time as this. I believe a revival is going to come to America and churches that are unified and hungry, God can work in to do great things through to be a blessing to those around them. The greatest days of the church are not behind us. The Spirit of God is not done and He has a plan for America and it involves you. It involves you. Perspective number two, transitions require strength and courage. Remember, Deuteronomy 31.7, be strong and courageous. When God gives these kinds of instructions, he does so because he sees something. 
You know, as a parent, I see things in my children's lives. And so there are times I speak things into my children that they don't understand what I'm talking about or why I'm addressing something. But we see it down the road, don't we, parents? We kind of have a sense something's up. He tells them, be strong and courageous because he sees something within them. He sees the potential for strife, the potential for pain, the potential for fear. That's why I believe he brought Joshua up in front of everybody. And that Moses affirmed that voice. Why? Because the nation needed to see, needed to know, needed to hear that God was in this process. Look at what happens later on in Joshua chapter 1. I will give you every place you set your foot. This is a conversation between God and Joshua. As I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon, from the sea of the great river Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land. I swore to their forefathers, be strong and very courageous. It's amazing what's happening here. He's giving Israel the encouragement to be strong because he sees something within them. And he's giving Joshua the encouragement to be strong because he sees something within him. Why? Because every transition has a measure of need to be strong and courageous. Transition requires to move forward, but here's the beauty of it. God is working on the strength and courage they need before they need it. And he's reminding them to get ready because someday they'll need to rely on his words and remember to be strong. And courageous. Here's what I'm saying. God is already working things out that you don't realize he is for the sake of your church. Listen, we serve a miracle-working, powerful, all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful God. We either got to stop in the American church preaching greater is he that's within me than he's within this world. Or we got to start believing what the Bible says. He's more than a conqueror. The devil's already lost. He is a defeated foe. We have demons flee in the name of Jesus. We have power in the name of Jesus. The American church has got to start believing the Bible we've taught, the Bible we've grown up with. He is still God. Nothing shakes him. Nothing removes his power from a situation. And we as the believers got to tap into that every single day and be strong and be very courageous. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We have to remember that. You are strong and mighty in the power of the Spirit. First of all, we're Pentecostals. We believe the Spirit is active and we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We stand on that. We believe that. Because God is good. All the time. Come on. That's the balcony for the win. God knows what lies ahead. So God encourages him. Perspective three, transitions are part of God's plan. I kind of talked about that, but I want you to notice this language. Deuteronomy 31.7, for you must go with these people. There's an understanding that God has ordained this. You must go. That means somewhere God is telling another leader, you must go. And that leaving will lead to you. God is speaking to somebody somewhere, stirring something in their heart. They may not even know the name Northville right now. 
But God is speaking and God is moving and God is working and God is stirring something. Because God works on both sides. Joshua, in your life, this is a transition. Israel, in your life, this is a transition. I'm marrying them together for the will of the future. I've learned there's no better place to be than to be in God's will. There's no place better than to be in God's will. Perspective number four, transitions lead to new vision and new opportunities. One of the things that excites me about leaving our church that we pastored isn't that we left and we didn't care. We love those people dearly. What's exciting to me is someone's going to come in and they've already elected a new pastor with vision and opportunities that, that hopefully and prayerfully will take the church to the next dimension, to what God wants next for that church. Here's the reality. What your church does in this season will matter a hundred years from now with people who will never even know any of us were ever here. Think about this. There are people who planted many years ago that you don't even know, have gone to glory in heaven, who moved away or whatever happened. You'll never know their name, but they contributed to the original building, the building of this property, the purchase of this land, the development of the heart that God needed a church in Northville. How many know we're just a continuation of what God's already been doing for generations? And this is your critical season to get this right, to stand with each other. And celebrate the future of tomorrow. Joshua was not running from something, but to something. God made that clear. God would show the vision to Moses, but Joshua would possess it. Listen to Deuteronomy 34. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pishag, across from the Jericho, across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land. It's like God and Moses are like looking over the whole promised land. Verse 4, then the Lord said to him, this is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I'll give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there. I want you to catch this. As the Lord had said, God buried him in Moab. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. I want to I point something out. I said this to some leaders at our church. And it's a, it's a harsh-sounding thing, but I think it's biblical. The reason God buried Moses is because I believe if Israel buried Moses, they would have a shrine to the past that they would never move past. They would have gone to where Moses was buried, and they would have begun to worship the former leader at the expense of forward movement. Let me say that again. They would have worshipped their former leader, at the expense of forward movement. That's why he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, I don't want you to be like, well, Brooks and Tammy are dead. No, they're not. <laughs> Hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying you don't honor the past. You should honor the past. I'm not saying that you forget the past ever happened. That's not good either. What I am saying is you can't worship the past at the expense of what God wants to do tomorrow. I think that's why God buried Moses. So that Israel was forced to move on and become committed to the future leader that God was sending them. Are you with me? 
says this, and I'll give it to your descendants. By the way, in that text, you know what he's reminding Joshua? Hey, Joshua, just so you know, just so you know, you're the new leader, but this doesn't really only have to do with you. This is the fulfillment of what I saw generations ago. I'm going to get it to where I want to get it to because you're just part of the steward of that process. That's, the, that's that whole continuum I was talking about a few moments ago. Joshua chapter 3 says this, Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out and went to Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went through the camp giving orders to the people. Listen to this. This is so encouraging. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourself. Come on, church. For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Here's the picture. Follow the will of God. The ark was the tangible physical presence of God in their midst at that time. The ark represented God going before them, represented God's favor, God's blessing. What he's saying is this, everyone in this camp, rally behind the will and the process of God. Follow where God leads. And then this wonderful kind of, I don't know how old school you are. I know he had some failings but recovered. But how many remember the old school Jimmy Swagger preachers kicking his leg and waving his thing? This is one of those moments that should fire you up. He says, because if you do this well. And consecrate your heart to the will of God. He is about to do something tomorrow that you couldn't even imagine today. Whew, come on. You know, we build beautiful buildings and then they're not full. We build buildings for one reason. So people can come and experience the presence of God. We do church, not just to go to church and just do church. How many are just sick of doing church? Listen, I want to be the church. I want the fullness of the Spirit to be upon my life in every room I walk into, every CVS or Kroger grocery store that I walk into. I want the presence of God to be so consuming in my life that church is a celebration of what God did Monday through Saturday. Let Sundays be a celebration, not the fixing point of a bad choice on a weekend. Sundays are the gathering of the saints to celebrate the work of God Monday through Saturday and to charge for the next week so we're prepared for what God has next. Consecrate yourself for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things. Perspective number five, transition, transitions lead to God's divine blessings. And he says this in verse 7, and you must divide the land as an inheritance. I've been thinking a lot about inheritance. My parents are getting older. Um, watching them get older is that weird phase of life where you kind of have to help them with certain boxes. My dad had back surgery. My mom had cancer. And uh, by the way, some of you know my mom. She has uh, gone through... Uh, she had real severe cancer, intestinal cancer, and she has just had a scan, and she is cancer-free. And uh, we are thankful for that and grateful for that. But I've been thinking about inheritance a lot. I've been thinking about uh, what I've received. 
And I've been thinking about the days that uh, during a particular difficult time when I was a teenager, not a sin issue, I, we had had some friends on my basketball team. I, was, um, I used to open up speaking to youth groups this way. Uh, <laughs> I would tell them uh, I was captain of the basketball team, runner-up for homecoming king, and was nominated mock election best personality my senior year. I was a Christian kid, never partied, never did any of these things. And then I would tell students, so those of you who are worried about popularity, this is what it looks like 30 years after high school. <laughs> I tell them, don't worry about popularity, it's all downhill, okay? Just it's straight sledding downhill, you know? But, but in high school, uh, some guys on my friends got intoxicated and shot the windows out of our house with high-power uh, BB guns or airsoft things. And uh, when we got with my friends, these were guys on my basketball team, some of them, we uh, got together. One of them said, the reason that I did that was because you always lived a moral life and, I, and were well-liked. I did everything I could to be liked and wasn't as liked as you, and I was jealous. But it was hard. These were my friends. These were guys that I knew really well. It was kind of like a little bit of, I felt persecuted as a Christian a little bit, even though it wasn't related to what the world space is like. But for a 17-year-old guy, that was hard to process. Anyone understand what I'm saying? And, and I remember coming around the corner and uh, catching my dad in the basement praying for me. What an inheritance I have of the memory of hearing my dad in the basement crying out to God on behalf of his son's heart. And I sat at the top of the stairs and listened to a man praying like I've never heard pray before. That's an inheritance. It's not what we do, it's who we are that we leave as an inheritance. Listen, your search committee might not get it right every time they have a conversation. It's not what they do, it's who they are. It's who you are as a congregation. We are inheritance builders to the generations that follow us. I remember a lady in our church, she was very traditional, and uh, she came up to me on a Sunday morning, and she said, and, and I had just become pastor, and I was preaching in jeans prior to that, we were in suits, and so I was kind of messing everything up. We had coffee suddenly in our church, and that was a scandal, and uh, <laughs> it, was, it was causing all sorts of problems, and we, we had crazy things happen. We had a guy get saved. He was a heroin addict. He got miraculously delivered from heroin. Um, I think I shared this maybe when I was here last time. Uh, he, uh, he was going to leave the service, and he didn't. And he, I found him after service, and he was praying, and, and God had literally un, made him unhigh for the first time in 20 years in our church service. And he's been clean the rest of his life. He started sending me pictures of his track marks as they were scabbing over. First it was his arms, then his neck, then his shirtless pictures. I told him to stop sending me pictures. I didn't know what was, where this could lead to. I mean, but he runs out of a church service. I had the 20 grumpiest people. I don't know if you know this, but every church has 20 grumpy people in it. What's, that's my theory. It's really bad when your church is 20 people. Uh, but I think, every, and I think there's a reason churches are 20 people, because... The 20 grumpy people took over. I, this is my opinion. And so I had the 20 grumpiest people. That's terrible to say. I really shouldn't say those things, should I? Jamie's giving me. I had the 20 grumpiest people in my church sitting in our hallway. And this guy who is three weeks in the Lord, absolutely miraculously healed from heroin addiction, runs out of church and, and yells in the hallway, this was the best. And he drops a very, very severe cuss word with an I-N-G on the end of it, service I've ever been in in my life. 
And all 20 grumpy, I literally looked around and I thought, grumpy, 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 oh no. And, uh, and he panicked. He started to self-loathe, which was this whole problem. Lord, I, I just, I ruined it. Now everybody's going to hate me. And I had this moment where I just said as a pastor, I said, listen, there's going to come a moment when you realize that this is inappropriate. And I think you have. Oh, for sure, pastor, this is terrible. And I said, but it's been a long time since these people ran out of church that excited about what God was doing in their life. <laughs> and, all, and, and everyone grumpy was like. And I said, so leave this building excited about what God did right, not what you did wrong. Don't do it again. And he goes, great, and this is the best coffee, which those people hated coffee in church too. So <laughs> we took him in the back room, and I, I said, everybody follow me. And it was this miraculous moment. Everybody was in there and was mad, except one guy finally stands up and says, shut up. And he says, I know what you talk like when we hunt in the duck blind. I know what you were. You were a womanizer and a disgusting man before God got a hold of your life. He starts calling out everyone's sin. He looks at me and goes, is this okay? I'm like, go ahead, yeah. <laughs> you got this, yeah. And, and so fast forward, we had moments like this where as you're becoming a soul-winning church, it will disrupt your comfort. By the way, we are either country clubs as churches or we're hospitals. Country clubs don't have sick people. Everyone acts perfect. Hospitals have sick people that people help get healthy. Listen, I pray your church is a hospital for sick people to get healthy. And so we were transitioning to, uh, to more of a hospital. And so this lady comes up to me and she says, Pastor, and, and here they come and they're, and they're dressed up, every Sunday dressed up. Came up to me and said, I don't know if I like the music. I don't know if I like that. And this and this. And I thought, here we go. She says, but I don't care. You build a church my grandkids will come to and I'll support you every step of the way. And you know what she was saying? Let's build an inheritance for the next generation." Let's get this season right so the next generation has a platform and a foundation to build off of. That's what, that's what the Lord's saying here to Joshua. Hey, let's get this right. Give an inheritance. This is bigger than what we know. Let me give you two more. God transitions have, have God attached to them. I love that. The Lord himself goes before you, verse 8, and he will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Come on. Joshua 4.14, that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they revered him all the days of his life, just as they had revered Moses. It is possible for you to love a new lead pastor as much as you loved your former, and maybe even more. God will put something in your spirit, and congregations come together when God is doing a new work in you. And then this, Joshua 5. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man. I love this. Just remember this. Standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to ask him, are you for us or our enemy? Joshua's like, who is this person with a sword? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I, now, I have now come. Joshua saw the supernatural leading of God during a transition season, and I ask that you would do so too. See the possibilities of what God has, not the limitations of how long it takes. Listen, I would rather have it take long to get the right person than hurried and get the wrong. And then transitions require faith and confidence. Don't be afraid and do not be discouraged. Listen, 
God knows who your next pastor is. God's going to work that through. You have leaders on your search committee who have wisdom, who want the best for this congregation. I want the best for this congregation. You're on my regular prayer list. We pray for you. I pray that God would do something great. I pray that this community would begin to sense, listen, I used to say this to my church, I want hell to regret the day I was born. I want hell to regret the work of this. Listen, you will come under attack. You better. You know, we say these terrible phrases in the kingdom of God like, the Lord showed up, as if the Lord is absent. The Holy Spirit really showed up today. Of course he did. He's everywhere at all times. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. What we should say is we stepped into what the Holy Spirit was doing. We say things like, oh, the devil's after me, as if it's a bad thing. Listen, the devil should be after you. He's only going to go after things that threaten his work. When someone, I had a lady at my church said, the devil's really after me. I said, good, what are you doing to make him mad? She said, well, I started a Bible study at my work, and I'm witnessing to my neighbor, and, and I'm telling my mom about the Lord. I said, good, then the devil will be after you. Let's pray for strength to be strong and courageous in spite of what. Listen, the devil should be after you because you should be doing something great for God. It's part of the process. And so I just wanted to hopefully encourage you. Great days are ahead. God's going to find the right fit. Your church is a great church. Your church will continue to be if you choose to be. Be unified. Be connected. Be focused on tomorrow. Believe for great things. Be strong and courageous. Follow the Lord's will because greater things tomorrow will come than what you can even ask or imagine. And I got a funny feeling it's going to be okay. And I'm praying for you. Are you with me? Is this encouraging? Hopefully. I hopefully. I hope so. I, I want to be encouraged to you. Let's do this, and then after service, I know two people who have way too much chocolate. You can go find them and steal it from them. No, I'm just kidding. Would you do me a favor and would you stand? And Balcony, thanks for being so good up there. You guys are the greatest. And uh, those online, uh, you were, you're probably in your house saying this is the greatest sermon you've ever heard. Thank you for that. We really appreciate that. that was, that's amazing. I sense that. Thank you. Anyway, just kidding. Would you join me? And I'm going to lead us in prayer. And... Uh, in fact, you know what, I'm going to do something I haven't done in any church yet. Would the search committee members please, who are here, please come up here. Come on up. I'm going to pray. And uh, symbolically, I don't know if you guys are, are feeling COVID nervous or not. Uh, by the way, Bob and I had COVID. We probably gave it to each other at a meeting we were at. But I want this, you to turn and face this congregation for a moment. And uh, congregation, will you, t will you say this with me on the count of three? We're praying for you. I want them to hear this because they need to hear this. Are you ready? One, two, three. These are leaders. Here's a few late to the party, but that's okay. They still count. We're praying for them too. They're in the balcony. They're in the balcony, people. Hey, all right, balcony people. Listen, every search committee needs balcony people. Amen, amen. I'm going to ask us to pray. Would you guys symbolically gather in a circle of unity? Would you do so in like whatever circle? And as we pray, I want them to pray too. Would you just begin to cry out to God for God's perfect will and God's perfect plan for your church? Let's take a moment and intercede for your future.
and, uh, and as the ones who are searching for wisdom for them too. Lord, we just call to you right now. Come on, church, let's lift our voice today. We call to heaven and we ask for your favor in this process. God, we pray upon these search committee leaders, Lord, that, that they would have unity, they would have a sense of your purpose, a, a sense of direction, that God, when the right person comes across their, their desk, that they would say, this seems right to us in the Holy Spirit. God, I pray for a leader for this congregation that would be full of strength and power and might to do the things that you've called them to do for the tomorrow of this church. God, I pray for unity in this church. Come on, let's pray for that. We pray for unity during this season. We pray for the Holy Spirit to bind our hearts together, to wrap our minds together, that we be optimistic about the future, that, Lord, wherever that person is to be the next leader, that you'd stir in their heart right now in this moment, and that the greatest days are ahead for Northville. That the greatest days, come on, if you believe that, start crying out to God. That the greatest days are ahead for this congregation and this community, Jesus. We know you are in charge and we look to you and we pray blessings and faith and encouragement today by the power of your Holy Spirit and all of us who are ready for a great tomorrow said, amen, amen, amen. Pastor Bob. I hope you're very, go ahead and please be seated. I hope you're very encouraged, guys. There's about 30 different points that could probably touch each one of our lives. And let, let the word of God minister to you as it spoke to you specifically on each one of those points. Maybe one of the reasons God's taking time is that he's also preparing us as a church. You heard that message come through as Pastor Aaron was talking to us. While we're waiting, let's not just be praying for the new pasture, let's be praying for us. Let's be making choices with God as he's speaking to us about different issues in our lives, maybe a ministry he's calling you to. God's preparing this congregation for the pasture that he's going to bring so that we, we sink together as soon as he shows up. So let's let God have his work, both in us as a church and in the pasture that he is preparing for our church. It's going to come, folks, it really is. But God's got his timing, and he's got his preparation. And let's let God have his perfect work so that when he brings this thing together, we're just going to be thrilled with what God has brought us. Okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for Pastor Aaron. Thank you for the great leadership that he and our district leadership brings us. Thank you for this timely message for us as a church and the different points that were brought out would you continue to bring those to life in our hearts and spirits so that we respond to the Spirit of God as you are working and building. You have a great plan in the future. Like, like the children of Israel, they did not know what that was, but we don't have to because you do. You know where you're taking us. You know the legacy you're going to continue and the, and the passion that you're going to bring to continue that legacy. And we trust you for that. We thank you for that. In the meantime, Lord, our hearts are open to you. Would you continue to work in our lives and build us into a church that's going to be ready for the people that you bring to us? And we thank you for this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with the Lord. Have a great week and be the church. God bless you.